Hey there, my name is Hugo Prince. I'm the host of the Road to the IPO, Le Podcast des Entrepreneurs Aguerri. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. I also want to let you know that the podcast Road to the IPO is not available in all the other platforms. iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Please, please rate the podcast on iTunes. Leave a comment. Let me know if it's good. Let's start the show. Today's podcast is in English, and I have the great, great pleasure to have on the show Ethan Bensusuan, the co-founder and CEO of No One. Hey, Ethan, how's it going? Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you to you. So, for those who know, for those who don't know you, can you introduce yourself? Yeah. So, um, I'm uh, born and raised in Montreal. Yes. Um, and uh, for the past few years, I've actually been um, one of the founders building North One. Okay. Um, North One is. Uh, we'll get into it, I'm sure, in more detail. Yes. But it's a um, fully mobile banking service for small businesses. Okay. More important than the banking part is actually the vision, which is that we we actually have built our banking platform to act as the finance department for a small business. Okay. So think of a banking platform that actually acts as an accountant, a bookkeeper, a financial advisor, all right around your bank account. In one app. In one app. Um, and the idea is not to replace everything, but to plug into all the different tools that do this really well and make them work together. Okay, cool. And you know, we we met like in a different uh, startups events and everything. Yeah. And I was told you were younger. Then just <laughs> I'm 36. I'm like, ooh. I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, Jamie Vinicius too, who is. Uh, I've known him for years, for decades, years. actually. All right. So before we talk about entrepreneurship and your company, I know you used to work at uh, McKinsey. Yep. So. There's a lot of entrepreneurs here, like young entrepreneurs that say, I don't want to get a job because I want to go straight into entrepreneurship. And now you have a good job. You had a good job at McKinsey. So why did you decide to stop that job and go in in entrepreneurship? So uh, there's this, this thing I always think about. Yes. Um, it's called, how do, I find, how do I be Michael Jordan on the basketball court? Okay. So Michael Jordan had two careers. Not yes. everybody knows this. One, he played basketball and... It was incredible. Yeah. And then he went to play baseball. Yes. And it wasn't incredible. <laughs> yeah. And I always think about, well, where's my basketball court? Okay. And how do I make sure I can be that and not on the baseball field? And so I had the most amazing five and a half years at McKinsey. Yes. Um, but towards the end of it, I had a very good feeling that my basketball court was not going to be in consulting at okay. McKinsey, that it lay elsewhere. And yes. so... Uh, I didn't know then what it was, yeah. but I just knew that this wasn't it. And okay. so being honest with myself, I made the decision that it was time to leave. Okay. And at least then I'd have a better shot of finding my basketball court. And that led me to North One. So that's a matter of uh, self-awareness. It's self-awareness, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, I, I had a lot of, some of my best friends came from McKinsey. And yeah. um, I would see the, the almost effortless way that they could do the job. Okay. And get very good results and I'd be able to get very good results but it cost me every hour of the day. It was just a lot of work and I could see the difference and I said, you know what, like 
that's their basketball court. I can tell that, that they're enjoying it the right way. They're getting, the, the brain is wired the right way. Yes. And um, I had a very good feeling that my brain was wired for something probably a little different. Okay. So what did you learn at McKinsey that you apply right now in entrepreneurship? You know, the, the, the great thing about McKinsey is that every few months you change projects. Yes. And so think of it as light speed uh, at bats okay. <laughs> of another attempt to think about what you, what you are as a professional, your leadership skills, your thinking, your problem solving skills. And so I just got many, many, many opportunities to refine myself very quickly. So many people, you know, working in a, in a broader company, you have maybe a promotion every two years okay. and you get to reinvent yes. your skill set. I was doing that every two or three months and mm -hmm. I loved it. And um, I took a few things away from McKinsey. I think three, three big things stay with me. Yes. The first is um, understanding the power of culture and people. Okay, yes. Yeah. From a few different angles, I would see clients and you see so many different clients and you see how different cultures change the way people approach similar situations. Okay. And so getting culture right, you know, you don't think of it at the beginning, but then you see just how dramatic that impact would be. It made me extremely aware yes. um, of how I could engineer a team and a culture that would represent the best of all of us versus not thinking about it and letting it degrade into something um, less desirable. Okay. Second one is you know, the, just the ability to ruthlessly prioritize. Uh, yeah. To constantly be thinking about whether what I'm doing is uh, the most important thing. Am I moving the needle? Never even spending more than two or three hours on any one thing before I pick my head up and I ask myself, um, am I the right person to be doing this piece of work? Okay. Can someone do it more efficiently? What's the most important thing for us to tackle today, okay. this week, this month, this quarter? Yes. And I think the last one is um, just a, a level of comfort, extreme comfort with ambiguity. Oh, yeah? So you're in a very data poor, highly ambiguous situation. Okay. And one of the skills that I picked up was how to take that, structure it, and become a very tangible path forward. Yes. Where otherwise you might say, like, I have no idea how to even start. Okay. Right? Do you mean you... like in a stress situation? I'll give you an example. Okay. So we would have, um, we had a project once where um, we were serving a company and their big question was, how do we become successful in five years? Okay. <laughs> like, and that's it. That was it. Like, so we need to understand what's our success okay. path for five years and how do you even start? It's complete. And they said like, just go figure, help us figure it out. Okay. So you need to think, well, how do I break this into pieces of work? Okay. And how do I then find the information required to get that work done? And it's a matter of hypothesis testing and, um, you know, expert, you know, bringing in experts and interviewing people and, yes. and doing analyses that you can actually come to an actual answer and a strategy and a set of tactics for a company to say, look, if this is what you want to be in five years and we help them figure that yeah. out, here are the playbooks to get there. Okay. All from this one question, how do we become successful in five years? So this level of ambiguity is something I, I came to love and in an early stage company like, a, like our own, yes. you have to be comfortable with ambiguity because so much is uncertain. Because it's very funny because you say like a five years plan in almost all the startups had a have like three or five years plan you know when yeah. you started so that you you lend that at McKinsey and you yeah I mean there's there's many others but those are the big ones that that stay with me uh -huh. and and to be honest I mean you take all that and you package it with a very high expectation for quality um you know just the the, the level of excellence you want around you and and you have a recipe that I really enjoy yes and I think the team that we have at North One 
um, I mean, each one of them, I think not only just inspires me in terms of who they are, but yes. uh, intimidates me in a good way at how good they are at their job. Okay. And that's what I love about it. I love that we've hired people that I look at them and I'm like, they are just way smarter than me. <laughs> yes. and, and I love that. All right. So for those, for the students that are going to finish university or college, um, would you say that they have to go right away in an entrepreneurship what, for those that want to? Or would you say like get a job first, learn, and then after five, five to two to three years, go and start your own business? What would you say to them? I mean, to be honest, I think it's, it, it really depends on the person. Okay. Some people are wired to just go and start something. Okay. And if they are self-aware enough to realize that's how they can be successful, then they shouldn't waste time. Okay. Other people, they have a different, they have a different wiring or they're still figuring it out. I would never have traded the time okay. I spent at McKinsey. I, I just, who I am as a professional today is a result of that. And um, that was my path. Okay. But you never know beforehand, you've, you've got to yeah. try. I mean, look, the one thing I can say is that you don't necessarily get a high bar for quality in every startup yes. because it's such a quick moving informal situation. You might be with people who know exactly what they're doing and yeah. you'll learn a ton or you might be with a company that implodes in three months and it really wasn't you know, a big learning experience. Okay. When you have larger established companies, one thing that you often will get is a certain level of rigor and a bar for quality that yes. you could hopefully learn from. Yes. Uh, that's obviously dependent on the company, but that's what I got coming out of a place like McKinsey. Just this, this, this being surrounded by an, uh, just an incredible level of excellence that um, became my own as well. All right, cool. So just say that uh, McKinsey was your, wasn't your play core, mm -hmm. but entrepreneurship was it. Why entrepreneurship? It, maybe there was another option or you say, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to start my own business, but why exactly? That, this was a self-awareness one. Self I mean, when I left, I even tried to interview with some larger companies okay. and I couldn't. I, I went through one and I just said, this, this feels so wrong. And if I'm going to be honest with myself, yeah. I don't want to start something that I'm going to be in, in months just hating everything. Uh, I worked too hard to, to go through everything I had and have this you know, level of energy and then to say, I'm just not loving what I'm doing. Yeah. It was just uh, going through the motions, interviewing a handful of times to say, you know what, that's just not for me. And then saying, I want to build something. That's really where this is all coming towards. Okay. And then just going down this path, not knowing what was coming and saying, you know, so, so what does that mean if I want to build something and how do I turn this into something real? Mm -hmm. And the journey is just completely insane. It's just, there's like no way <laughs> that I could have known beforehand yes. what would emerge, but that's the, that's, uh, to me what the pleasure was. I loved the idea that I didn't know where I was going and I was figuring out as I went along. And I okay. think the more I spend time uh, as an entrepreneur, the more I actually love that I don't know what's coming up in the future. That's actually part of the, the almost the uh, addiction to this, which, yes. is, which is that it's, you get to create your own future. As a team, yeah. we create our own company and our own future and um, you roll with the punches and I like that. Is not one your first company? Yep. Yeah, all right. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about uh, North One. What is it? So, you know, North One is, like I said, it's, it's a, what's called an API-powered okay. banking service. Yes. What does that mean? I mean, to remove it. We, we use some of the latest technology to take what is typically a very traditional product, a bank account, banking platform, 
and say, well, how do you make this appropriate for 2020, okay. 2025? How do you make it this the most modern thing? And what that means is um, it's not just a bank account anymore. It's actually um, a different relationship that a business can have with their bank, where the bank actually acts as their finance department. Yes. So just to be specific, you know, the North One, we have a partnership with a bank in the United States okay. that through our app allows us to open a checking account for a small business okay. at that bank. They can move money by transfers, by wires, they get a debit card in the mail. So okay. it really acts as everything you are as a bank account, but that's just the ticket to entry. Okay. The real magic happens when you start plugging into it and letting your transactions flow. We plug into your accounting software. We have a portal for your accountant to come in so that they can go and look at things without okay. being able to move your money. We can give you insights into the health of the business in terms of in real time with your cash flow. All these things are um, this one theme, which is we want to give time back to the entrepreneur. Yes. So many business people um, get into business and realize that, you know, there's another job they didn't realize they were signing up for, which is bookkeeper, accountant, yeah. <laughs> invoice uh, manager, payroll manager. Yes. And they're not necessarily trained for that. In yeah. fact, the leading cause of business, small business failure okay. is cash flow illiteracy and cash flow mismanagement. Uh, yes. Because an incredible dentist that you want cleaning your teeth may not be the best accountant. True. Probably I don't want my dentist spending any time learning accounting if I can help okay. it. I'd rather just get better at being the dentist. Okay. But it creates an enormous amount of waste and failure. Yeah. So just think, just I'll give you a perfect example because you know, we've probably interviewed 300 business owners across North America okay. to, to better understand um, the market. You have someone who owns a bakery and you know, they, they have a loose understanding of where the cash flow is. Okay. The oven breaks down and they go to buy another one and they don't realize that they just spent $5,000 on an oven, but the next day their rent was due and the week after taxes were due and then they had a payroll run. Okay. And all of a sudden the, the actual cash is no longer in the bank account. So they made a huge mistake and this leads to business failure. Yes. So being able to know in a more accurate and more digestible way where your business is, what you can actually, what kind of money you have on hand, what are the upcoming obligations you have to pay out, can hopefully avoid a lot of these very big errors. So you're like optimizing all the financial services for small and medium businesses. So exactly. So in, in many ways, we look at the back office of a small business yes. and we say, we want to actually rip away everything that's taking up your time and your money. Yes. And we're going to serve it back to you in a really easy, very cost effective, uh, but very um, digestible fashion. So I'm going to ask you a question. What's the difference with the QuickBooks and all those accounting platforms? So we actually plug into them. You plug into so them. So we, okay. we don't want to reinvent the wheel. Okay. Right? The goal is that we start at the bank platform, the bank account, yes. and we move out. So the best accounting suites, we plug into those and yeah. we enrich the data together. Okay. The goal being that if there's a company that's spending 24 hours a day thinking of how to improve receipts collection, yes. that's a good thing for the small business. Let's keep that, but let's plug into them. So let's okay. have your receipts, talk to your accounting software, talk to your bank account, and even talk to your Shopify console so that everything can actually have a story. You can actually understand what all of these different sources of data mean for the business yes. versus someone saying, okay, well, I have four different sources of information and I now have to figure out how to put them all together. A lot of small businesses, have you know owners and founders that are not well equipped to do that? Okay. 
the, the hypothesis that we have is that the best place where you can get that done is right at the bank account because that's where all money connects. Yes. So we can actually properly figure out what's going on in the business and then help the entrepreneur find out themselves. So like an, you're like an open API connecting exactly. to all those platforms. Okay, yeah. that's cool. All right, so, so why is small and medium businesses? You could go like a big businesses and everything. Why you decided to really go? What, what is the importance of small and medium business in the economy? So, you know, I grew up with a family in a family of small business owners. Okay. Many my uncles, aunts, grandparents, uh, they all own small businesses. And I just, I remember sitting as a kid on my grandfather's lap and he was using the calculator and figuring out the invoices yes. and the bills. This was hours of his night or his weekend that he was doing. And I just understood over time, just that was a part of living in a small business. Um, when I left McKinsey, the one thing I wanted to solve for was I want to work in something that has an impact on society. Okay. And the things that were important to me were how do I reduce income inequality? How do we provide economic mobility? Um, how do we have access to finance to people who don't normally have an easy way to get into the financial yes. system? Because of my family's history, I realized that small business is one of the best ways to do that. If you can make the small business sector more successful, yes. across the board, you can move the needle on all of those big issues. Okay. My family on either side, whether it was from the 1800s or, or just maybe a generation ago, came to Canada and built up uh, a great quality of life with small businesses. And um, if you know, that repeating itself is one of the ways that we can continue ensuring that Canada, North America, uh, that our success can continue and that people can come here and build you know, yes. the American dream, the Canadian dream, whatever it might be. So it became natural that at a certain point I realized what I really care about reverses itself into a thriving small business sector. Yes. And the knowledge I had accumulated with the work I did at McKinsey, always, thinking, always doing a lot of work on financial inclusion, financial services innovation, I just started connecting the dots and saying, well, what am I understanding about the way the world is evolving in the next five, 10 years, and how can I leverage that to really empower small businesses? And that's the story of, of my story at North yes. One. Everyone else at North One came with their own story of how they got there. My okay. co-founder has, has a really interesting story himself, but at the end of the day, uh, I, I, I started connecting dots from different parts of my life, yes. and then it became obvious that something like North One had to exist, and it wasn't, and I wanted to do that. All right. So let's say a small and medium uh, uh, entrepreneur that has a, like a like bakery store. He says, like, Ethan, I go to Bank of America and I go to Desjardins. They don't want to give me credit. Will I have access to credit via no one? So at first, no. First, it's, okay. it's a bank account with all the spending. Yes. But within a few months of, uh, from now, we're actually going to have a one-click credit facility. Okay. So you say, would you like to get a, a line of credit? Yes or no, yes. here's how much it'll cost. There's, I mean, we're trying to uncomplicate things. This is the price per day or per week. This is the price per month. If you're okay with that, here you go, here's a line of credit. And that's actually where we built from. Um, but at first, it's kind of the lean startup idea. We, we concentrate on a very focused product, which okay. is the banking platform. Yes. And it, it's itself, it's a big one. And then we start adding all the other pieces that make it um, really compelling. Okay, cool. So what do you think that all these big banks cannot give all this? access to small and medium businesses. Why, like Desjardins or Bank of America, cannot give all the potential to a small business owners? Yeah. Why? So it's in, you know, the biggest banks that we have around, yeah. I mean, they're filled with brilliant people who mean well and um, really do care. I mean, I, my friends work there, you know, we all yes. know. 
It's actually a, a question of business model. When you have 5,000 branches, okay. when you have 100,000 people in your back office, it's very hard to serve a small business very profitably. To be honest, I think it's about 80% of most small businesses lose money for a bank. Okay. So it's a sector where when you're looking at, when you're looking at where am I going to invest money as a bank, saying, well, I'm losing money on them. Why am I going to invest in better service, etc.? Often these small businesses get pushed to self-serve channels where yes. they take the retail banking and they put a different color on it and they say, now this is for small business. Okay. <laughs> because what they're trying to do is minimize the level Lust. of money you're throwing at something yeah. that's not profitable. I yeah. mean, if you're running a bank, you're thinking my most profitable margins are investment banking, wealth management, yes. maybe asset management. Small business comes late down the line. But you say that it's important to have small, a small in business, small and medium business in, in, the, in the economy. Yeah. So why aren't they trying to help them? I mean, they are, yeah, but they are. I think that they, they, they a lot of them struggle to do it profitably and well okay. and a lot of them say look i'm helping the economy other ways i mean okay. it's not every company's job to help the small business sector and every bank doesn't see it as you know the small business sector being the sector they have to push forward okay what we're trying to say is look if you strip away a lot of the parts of the banking experience that aren't as relevant to many new businesses no branches yes um everything is automated in the background it costs us a fraction of what it costs a typical bank to serve a small business. And that way we actually have the ability to be profitable and make a profit with every small business and reinvest in their experience. So we're constantly incentivized to say, how can I just keep on making this better and better for small business? Because we can actually make money in that sector, whereas a lot of other banks struggle to. Okay, so you guys are not competing with big banks. You're trying to like, associating with them to really help small businesses. Because I find it like, I ask a lot of questions to uh, fintechs, mm -hmm. uh, CEOs, and they say, we are never competing with banks. We want to try to work with them. But then you see big banks, sometimes they say, oh, we don't like technology, a lot of these fintech startups, we have to be careful. So what's your view on that? I mean, we are competing with banks. We are competing with banks. We're not the bank, right? Just okay. to be clear, we work with a bank in the background okay. to make, to be able to offer what we have. Yes. But we're trying to serve to say that to the small businesses that are with a big bank and are getting poor service, come open an account with us and you will have better service, more value, more insight and okay. quicker, less paperwork, less hassle than you've ever had before. And a lot of them respond to that. Okay. Um, and it, you know, in some ways it helps reduce a non-profitable segment for a big bank. Yes. But on the other hand, what these banks also want is to be able to say some of these small businesses are going to be very successful. Yeah. And we want to keep them because they become commercial businesses yeah. and enterprise businesses. And so um, there is a certain degree of competition there. Okay. And let me ask you about um, something very important in the financial industry, trust. Mm -hmm. How are you guys building trust? Because you're new, like mm -hmm. you're just going to come out recently. So how are you guys building trust with uh, small owners? There's a lot of levers that we pull. I mean, first, we are partnered with an existing regulated bank. Okay. And so as a result, when it comes to the regulated financial services, we can say, look, there is a professional group of people here who are excellent at their job and they're doing that. So you yes. don't have to worry as to, on, on that side. Second one is um, just about, you know, the kind of certifications, the okay. kind of compliance that we have, the, the level of scrutiny that we have received in our, with, from our bank partner, but from third parties 
to being able to actually go out the door and be in this space. Okay. But the last one, I think almost as important as the others is the culture and the kind of company that we are. I mean, we, when we produce things, when we put things out there, we want to make sure that uh, they're flawless. Okay. Right? That you never look like, geez, if they couldn't spell <laughs> these words right, how are they possibly going to get it right when it comes yeah. to you know, helping my banking experience? Okay. And that's actually quite important to us, that level of um, professionalism. Yeah. So some people will say, I'm never going to trust them. And that's okay. Okay. But there's a whole bunch of people say, I'd love to take a chance yes. on something different. Mm -hmm. That's what's exciting to me. And as long as we can take that trust and keep it, I think we're in a good place. Yes. And we'll build on that. I mean, you have the first group of, of clients who say, you know, I don't mind. I'm, gonna, I, I'm a little more... Uh, open-minded. Yeah, I'm open-minded. I like the idea that it's new, it's shiny, it's different. I mean, a lot of people say you are not a big bank and that's really good for us. Yes. Once you serve enough of those, you can tell the next group of people, look, I know that you're a little more hesitant, but we already have all these thousands of businesses that we're serving. Yes. It's not as risky as you think. And some of them open their eyes say, oh yeah, and you keep on moving okay. like that. Cool. But we're never going to serve the whole market. I mean, there are a lot of businesses there that have great relations with their yes. banks and that's fine. The market's big enough for everybody. for everybody. And also by regulation, you know, antitrust would prevent yes. uh, anybody from being too big in the financial sector. Okay. Just a small break to let you know that World Today IPO has finally some sponsor. Two CM and Partner Sync, an accounting firm. Eve and Ali, one of my dearest friends, and they're very good accountants. They, they had helped me a lot in my accounting. As an entrepreneur, freelancers, even people that have nine to five jobs, you need very good accounting. So that's why I recommend them to CM and Partner Sync. So they're based in Montreal. So if you are from Montreal and you listen to the podcast right now, you can give them a call or go to the website that I will put on the description. I will put the link on the description. So if you tell them that you listen to the podcast, they will give you a free consultation. Yes, a free consultation. So give them a call right now at 514-318-3711. 514-318-3711 and let them know that you listen to the Road to the IPO. So let's get back to the show. All right, so uh, let's talk about uh, failures because you were telling me before the podcast that you were, you were going to launch in Canada, but something happened. What mm -hmm. was it? So I mean, we were preparing to, to launch in Canada and then at the last second, I mean, not the last second, a, few, a month or two before yes. everything, uh, just the context for us wasn't right anymore. We, we couldn't have the kind of um, value proposition we wanted for Canadians. It couldn't happen in the time span we wanted or the economics we wanted. And because of all of these changes, we said, you know what, we have to really think about where we can build a, a world-changing organization. Okay. And the little voice at the back of my head said, I think that's going to be in the US. I okay. think that there are other banks there who want to partner with companies like our own. And um, we found incredible partners there. And so we, we were able to actually prepare for an American launch instead. How did you how did you react like overnight you have to change everything that you plan how did you feel about it so there's two parts of the answer the yes. first one is ever since the, the earlier days we said we need to be very flexible yes. we have to build flexibility into what we're building so we always knew always we were going to go to the united states yeah 
it was just that we thought we might be able to start the pilot in Canada and then go. Okay. But because we knew where the vision was, we said, well, why don't we make sure that our technology could be compatible? Why don't we make sure that we're thinking about compliance, not only just from the Canadian context, but the American one as well. And so when we actually had to make that switch, it wasn't as if we were going you know, to, uh, to the moon. It yeah. was, we, we, we knew how that looked. Okay. And then more importantly, um, we didn't have a choice. We just said, all right, challenge accepted. Let's go figure Let's this out. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's how it rolls. Okay. Guys, I saw it, I saw it on the website. Yeah, your app is very user-friendly. I think that's very important because you can see all these apps for small businesses. They're not that user-friendly. They're even on desktop. So you guys come with a new and fresh uh, app. And that's why I like it. So before we go to the second part of the podcast, where can people contact you, Ethan? Well, what platforms are you on? I mean, any of them. Uh, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, you can reach us on the website. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm on any of those. Email. With your name, Ethan? Yeah. Ethan okay, cool. at north1.com. All right. So we're going to post all the links on the description of this podcast. So let's talk a little bit about general stuff. Um, technology. Mm-hmm. So technology is going to disrupt a lot of industries and it already is. Mm-hmm. So how do you see technology in the financial industry? Uh, I mean, every financial service institution now is a technology company. Okay. Whether they're Bank of America yes. or whether they're, you know, someone just starting in their garage today. Yeah. The question is um, less of a technology question, I think. It's more of what is the value proposition that makes money? Mm-hmm. And so if you're sitting where you have billions of dollars coming in and your technology is maybe 10 years old, yeah. that's okay because you have a very profitable business and you're serving people well enough that they're staying with you. Okay. Some, of, um, some of us in the earlier stages are saying, you know, I can leverage newer technologies, new, newer market models to hit a white space that's emerged because some of these other income and financial institutions just don't have their eye on that part of the, of the market. They're yeah. looking at other parts. Okay. And that's, that's a constant story. But look, these companies, these banks have billions of dollars that they reinvest in new technology and they get incredible people in there. Okay. So it's not something that we take lightly. We have a very humble respect for the biggest, uh, the big banks around us. Okay. What about AI? Because I think AI is going to play a huge role in financials. Because all the guys you are doing right now can be done by AI, no? Parts of it, I mean, you know, for us, uh, AI is actually something that we think about less in terms of marketing and sales, okay. to how do we find new people, as much as how can we deploy AI to give better value to the client? How okay. can we predict cash flows better? Okay. How can we give them a warning two weeks before something's about to happen? Yes. That to us is the best use cases for this. Okay. Um, I think a lot of uh, the AI in the financial system so far has been on customer support, yes. on marketing and sales, and that's great. But we're really focused on how, what are the use cases that can actually provide less risk or more value to clients. All right. So let's get real because I know that, I know that you know this already because you're trying to automatize all this accounting stuff and everything. And you know that people are going to lose their jobs. What do you think about that? Like, I don't know if that's something that you think about it, like all these accountants, all these people that work in the financial system, the cashiers, and, and all of those people will lose their jobs in the next 10 to 15 years. Do you guys think about maybe there's a solution for that? What would those people do? 
So yeah, the, fir the first thing is um, accountants, we actually work with a lot of accountants. Okay. The, it has to do with, the, it's a level of detail in there. So accountants do a lot of bookkeeping for their clients, yes. but it's often um, a loss leader. They'll yeah. do it so that they can keep the relationship, but what they really love is the advisory work, the okay. tax work, et cetera. Yes. When, they, when, we, when we work with them, they say, you know, if you're able to automate 50, 66% of all this bookkeeping, it means that I have more time to bring in more clients. And so they get a higher throughput of high margin, more interesting work, and they're actually very excited about yeah. that. Um, so that's just, on, for example, on the accountant side. But there is an absolute societal problem where we have large institutions which have lots of people who are not um, necessarily trained for the yes. next 10, 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. um, that's very real. I don't have the answer. Like if I had the answer, maybe I should be running for office. <laughs> but what I do know is I hope small business and entrepreneurship can be a path for mm -hmm. many of them. Yeah. Maybe, uh, I, I don't know specifically how everyone can be, you know, some people shouldn't do that, but yes. hopefully as our society evolves, more tools are made available, tools like North One, yes. that will help people get a business off the ground, operate it with less risk and less stress, and um, you know, adapt to whatever changes come our way. All right, cool. So let's talk a little bit about uh, First Capital because right now we're at First Capital and I interviewed Jay, he's mm -hmm. a very passionate guy. I really love the interview, he's very, he's a great leader. So how did you meet uh, Jay and Dominic? <laughs> we met a long time ago. Um, I mean, they were the first investors in the company. Okay. Um, honestly, I was just talking to everybody I could. Yeah. I would just, I wanted to find out more about what it meant to build a company. I was increasingly focused on financial services. Okay. And enough people said, you know what, there's a few really bright guys that you should talk to, the, yeah. these first brothers. I didn't know them, I had never met them before, okay. but enough people had said, you know, you probably should talk to them. So I said, okay, well maybe I should reach out. And I did, and it just started a conversation that turned into this relationship. And I think it was called, uh, the company was called First Something. Yeah, it was a project name. And then, the and then we, we got just a lot of people said, you know, I, I really want uh, a name for this that kind of feels like the nice and, and tech forward um, experience that yeah. your app has, that the website has. Can, you know, it just feels out of place. We said, we, we got to <laughs> adapt to that. Yeah. All right. So um, let me ask a question because why finance? Seemed like to be really into finance. Why did you decide to go? I'm gonna go in entrepreneurship, but in fintech. Why? What was it? I mean, to be honest, fintech is irrelevant. Oh, yeah? uh, it's a tool. It's a tool. Okay. It's a tool to societal goals, right? Uh -huh. If you had told me, uh, you know, based on everything you know, A10, the best thing for you is to get into HR software. Maybe I'd find myself in HR software. If that's what would have helped the small business sector. Okay. For me, the anchor is small businesses and helping them and. My own experience, you know, the knowledge I acquired in previous uh, professional experiences and um, my just belief that one of the largest levers that we still have to pull to support small business is a better financial service system for them led me to saying, great, then, then it's going to be fintech and fintech is the best way for me to empower this sector. All right. So for the last question, I just want to ask about open banking. I know it's already in place in Europe. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about open banking here in Canada and maybe in the United States? I mean, open banking is only as good as um, the ecosystem yeah. that, that it builds in. You know, in the UK, for example, we've seen this framework and, and just create an explosion of innovation. Okay. But there are other places where they have the equivalent of open banking and nothing has really happened to it. They haven't had the kind of 
ecosystem. And so uh, I would actually think of open banking again as just a tool. Like a tool. The use case of what people do with that data and what people can build for consumers or businesses is what's attractive. If you can get the same thing without open banking, forget it. I mean, who, who needs it? <laughs> yeah. But the evidence increasingly shows that you need open banking Without OpenBank, you cannot get some of that innovation, okay. some of this value for consumers and businesses. But I think Canada, United States, I mean, they're all going to have their own path forward. And yes. I would say we're going to see some countries that figure out all of the value of open banking without open banking. And I think, sure. I mean, who cares about the process? It's what, what we care about is the results. The results, yeah. All right. So any last word for the people that are watching this podcast and listening to it? <laughs> I mean, about entrepreneurship, maybe. So, what's the best advice somebody gave you in entrepreneurship? Yeah, um, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. You just you do whatever it takes, it takes, and it's it's both empowering, but it's extremely scary because if you actually apply that logic, um, it it will it it can actually be a very uncomfortable experience at times. But you know. It's just a belief that you have to get this done. I mean, if I had a, um, if I had a plan B yeah. to this, I think it wouldn't be the same level yes, of of needing to make this company work. And so, someone once told me, one of my my mentors, a friend, he just said, you know, when it comes to your work, you just get it done no matter what. Right. And, and I just keep takes. on taking that. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for watching, listening to the podcast. Thank you to Nicola, who has been there standing recording the video. And thank you to you, Ethan. I appreciate really. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yes.